And it is with a sense of great honor and privilege that I introduce our spiritual director and speaker this morning, Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron, speaking on the power of your word. very room there's quite enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room I invite you in this moment to reflect on all the things that have come together that has allowed you and I to be here today. The abundance of life, the wisdom, the intuitive nudge, friends, people that forced us to come with them today for the first time, whatever it may be. We are here by divine right appointment. And what I, I invite you to in this moment of presence, to plant your feet firmly on the floor, to know we are grounded in this infinite divine life. Not something that we welcome in, but something that we reveal. For that life of the infinite, that life of the divine, that life of spirit, or whatever name we give it, is our life. It is expressing in and through and as you and I to the degree that we allow that. And so our opportunity today is to put down our biases, opinions, and beliefs that restrict in any way, shape, or form that experience and that expression. To understand that life is for us, that our divine natural state of being is one of abundance and joy, of creativity and possibility, of love. And so I give thanks knowing that as I speak these words, as I'm guided in my awareness to speak these words, to give voice to these words, I am using the power of the word to call forth into my experience everything necessary for me to realize, to be, and to express in this moment, to stand in the qualities that I have just articulated. This is the creative process. So I model this for you and I express it for myself because it is such a joy to be here. I'm so grateful for this day. I'm so grateful for all the resources and people, teachers, parents, generations before that have allowed me to be here with you on this beautiful day, this beautiful day of awakening. So I give thanks knowing that everything is in divine right order. I give thanks knowing that all of that conspiring that brought me to this moment and you to this moment continues to work on our behalf, that I listen to it more acutely, that it has more power and influence in my life because I understand that I am not in this alone, that I am here by divine right appointment to express, to expand, to develop, discover and reveal the gifts and talents that are inherently mine and yours and to support one another in the delivery and the expansion of those talents, gifts, that love and light. For this I give thanks. I release these words in great gratitude for music, for ears to hear, eyes to see, hands to touch, hearts to feel, 
love to express and light to reveal. For this I give thanks and together we say, and so it is. So today is a really, really big day on the calendar, and there was a bit of a story I want to share with you that a man got up one day, was having breakfast with his wife, and she said, honey, do you know what, what special day it is today? And he said, of course I do. And he sort of looked at her, and he dashed off, grabbed his coat, and went out the door. And so throughout that day, she kept getting gifts. First, about 10 o'clock in the morning, a bouquet of beautiful roses shows up. And then a couple hours later, a box of candy, her favorite candy. And then in the afternoon, there's a beautiful dress. And uh, he came home that night and very proud and walked in. And she said, sweetheart, this is the most uh, impactful and beautiful Groundhog's Day I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> it's Groundhog's Day. One of my favorite movies by Bill Murray. Because he keeps having the same experience over and over if you've seen it. And he finally gets to the point where he just can't take it anymore. And so isn't this not true when we're, we're, when we're stuck in a paradigm of beliefs that we keep having the same experience over and over again? He just keeps repeating the same day, you know, the same hotel and the same, the whole thing, and pretty soon he's got it memorized. Pretty soon he knows where, I, I love that, he knows where the accidents are going to happen, so he gets over there before they happen, and he, and he starts to mitigate all these things he knows are going to happen, because it's the same day over and over again. And what it does is it changes him, until finally he gets the learning, and then all of a sudden he's, he's moved out of that trap of repetition into newness. And I think it's such a great metaphor for our lives, because we can get stuck in the, in the repetition and the beliefs. And so I'm, I'm so excited. We're able to circulate gratitude uh, this month and this year with our uh, Don Miguel Reads the Four Agreements. Not the first time that we've used this wonderful book, but it's, it's gaining momentum upon this planet for its simplicity and yet its power. And the first uh, agreement is um, be impeccable with your word. And so it's so powerful. Our word is so powerful because it's how we impress upon this infinite divine intelligence the... The ideas and to speak our word out loud is so powerful. It also, when our, our consciousness, our way of being is lined up with our words, it becomes just such a, a potent and powerful experience. And so what I know about myself is I do more spiritual practice as I put down the domestication that I got as a young boy. And not that it was a bad thing, it's necessary for all of us to have those experiences and to be guided and mentored. But as I start to question the ways I operate based on that early conditioning, I get to choose. You and I get to choose. And if it's things that work really well, then we continue to do that. You know, I was, I was taught as a young person to say thank you. And so for a long time, thank you felt like an obligation. And then as I grew and people, people did things in my life that were just, I was so appreciative of, I realized, oh my gosh. So in my growing, I, I took it from obligation and have to, to, oh my gosh, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. Last week I spoke about our furnaces being down, and we have seven of them here. And I shared with you the story, and I said, you know, it used to be that I used to think that I had to fix all this on my own. And as I shared the story with the community, I had a young man come up to me afterwards, and he was here at the first service. His name is Dave Tiefenbach, and Dave owns Piper Plumbing in, in Riverdale. And he walked up to me and said, I can fix those furnaces for you. And I said, well, tell me more. <laughs> and he said, I'll give you a price that no one will beat. And I pulled myself even closer. I said, tell me more. And Dave came in with his crew. He called in all his favors, so all of his subcontractors, his sheet metal guy, his, his um, electrician, um, and there was a couple other people involved, all came in, donated their time. Dave, I think, donated his time too. And we now have two wonderful furnaces. So two down, five to go. 
But the point is, I want to share that with you because it's, it's, it, this is abundance. This is abundance. And if we don't share, if we don't ask, so I use my word to say, hey, look, this is a challenge for me. I'm here. I know what's going on. I know every nook and cranny of this place. I know what leaks. I know what, you know. And so my tendency is many times to take that home and, and I gotta, I'm fixing it. When I realize I'm not, I'm not alone in this. You know, there's nothing wrong with asking for help. If we don't ask for help, how do people know? I could use your help, and I'm just throwing it out. I mean, I felt guided to say that, and not from a sense of desperation, but to say, hey, this is the reality that's going on here. And, uh, and um, so it's just a beautiful thing. But it, it, what it does is helps me circulate gratitude, and it builds the faith. So in the four agreements, they came up over thousands of years ago. It was a, 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 a esoteric wisdom, ancient wisdom, that was, that was used probably about 3,000 years ago around Mexico City where the, um, they would come together. There would be scientists and artists that would explore the ideas of spirituality and creativity. And they called themselves, these masters of, of consciousness called themselves Noggles. They met at uh, Teotihuacan, the place, the mountain, the, the, the pyramid there in Mexico, and they said that it's the place where humanity, men and women, become God. So exactly what we teach, that we, we, we move into a, an awareness, a space where we are reminded of our divinity. And then what happened over time is it became abused and so it became sheltered and it became protected because it's very easy to take what these people were sharing and not use it in, in the healthiest of manners. And that's our responsibility as metaphysicians, that people to think upon the planet. There are things that happen that are, people are using, we're always using this law of consciousness. We're always setting an intention and then seeing it play itself out. Most people are doing it asleep, very asleep in the dream, in lack and, and limitation. So, and what happens is we dream 24 hours a day. Don Miguel talks about this in the Four Agreements. We're dreaming. When we're asleep, we're really dreaming, but we don't realize we're dreaming when we're awake because what's happened is we have put our attention on things, and it, the attention is our ability to ha to, we have to discriminate and to focus only on that which we want to perceive because perception is the key. And we, we perceive millions of things over the course of a lifetime. But what you and I choose to hold in our perception is what's important because that's the free will we've been given. And so if we've had experiences growing up that have influenced where we are now, as I mentioned, the domestication of parents and, and school and environment, the opportunity then is to, to ask ourselves, is this a good quality or, is, is, or is perhaps is this a limiting way of viewing the world? You know, look at, uh, you know, I'm, I have dual citizenship, so I feel a, a little bit freer to talk about this, but look at the United States Congress. I mean, they can't get anything done. And I'm not, hey, listen, I'm not saying, I'm just, I'm just reporting, okay? I'm not editorializing, but they, it's very difficult because of the, because of the entrenched positions. If you're, in the other if you're on the other team, you're bad and wrong, and they both do it. And so everything gets, and I think there's a sense of, you know, there's a sense of relief in that. I did all my hard work, I got elected, I'm standing for what my, my consistency uh, uh, represents, and then we don't do anything. And so, you know, if you don't make any decisions, it's, it, there's a comfort in that, isn't there? If we just stay still? I don't want to do that. I mean, we talked about that in the uh, punch fear in the face start. You know, the, the idea of fear always says to us when you start to do something, no, oh, don't do it because you'll be disappointed. Or you've got to do it all at once. So my choice then is to stay stuck. And I'm, I've done it. We can all do it. But I don't, think we're here to, I don't think we're here to tread water. 
I, think, I don't think we're here to just dog paddle, you know, in the, in the swimming metaphor. I think we're here to, to learn all of, all of the strokes. So what happens is with our attention, we, we reach agreements. Our outside dream, we have the inner dream when we sleep, our outside dream may hook our attention, but if we, but if we don't agree, if we don't agree with the perception out there, if, then we don't store the information. And as soon as we agree, we start to believe it, and we build faith. And to have faith is to believe unconditionally. So so simple. It's obvious. But isn't it interesting, the dynamic of it? So you and I get to decide what we're going to give our attention to and what we're going to buy into and what we're going to accept as ours or not ours. We get domesticated. The fear and domestication is that idea as, as kids growing up, our parents say, oh, good boy or good girl or bad boy, bad girl. And so we start to look for that, that validation with the idea that, that if we don't do something wrong, we'll become rejected, which then leads us to the idea that I'm not good enough. Univer- uh, Ernest Holmes said the universal, I'm not good enough. And that becomes our book of law, how we operate. When we are in the, the victim consciousness, the victim consciousness carries blame, guilt, and shame. Blame, guilt, and shame. On page 11 of the, the, the agreements here, I'm going to read you a paragraph that's quite beautiful and powerful. I love this book, and it's been done now with new artwork and new font, and it's just beautiful. It's a work of art. And it doesn't go away because there's such great truth in it. Uh, on page 11, he says, We need a great deal of courage to challenge our own beliefs. It, it requires courage because we're challenging the things that were precious to our parents many times or the schools or our religious tradition. I mean, to walk in these doors many times, people are like, oh my gosh, don't tell anybody I was here. I'm supposed to be over at the Holy Mass. I know the feeling. I, uh, I won't go there. Anyway, <laughs> it says, because even if we know we didn't choose all the beliefs, some were given to us, some were, were, were generational. It is also true, that, but we agreed to all of them. And the agreement is so strong that even if we understand the concept of not being true, we feel, so we have a belief, we feel it's not true, but, but there is a sense because of this let, putting it down or moving away from it or it's saying, you know what, not for me anymore, there's also along with us a, a feeling of blame, guilt, and shame because we start to go against the rules. That's part of it. My teacher used to always say, get comfortable being uncomfortable, which is what, exactly what you're talking about because all of a sudden you realize, you know what, I'm not going to be the victim anymore in this. Yeah, but it's so, it's so familiar. Yeah, but I'm not going to be the victim in this anymore. Yeah, but it just feels so good because then I know where to, who, who to dislike and judge and blame and all this stuff, and it goes on and on and on. Don Miguel says that the human being is the only animal on the planet that punishes itself a thousand times for one mistake. We're the only species that does it. We have one, we, we screw up one time. I mess up one time, let me make it personal. I mess up one time and every time I'm confronted with that or that memory comes up, I punish myself again. And that becomes part of my spiritual practice because what am I doing? I'm giving my, anybody? Attention, thank you. Attention to that. And so what I find now with spiritual practice is that, that that scenario never goes away for me. But what I realize is now I get to say, oh, yeah, I remember that. I'm not doing that anymore. And who knows? Eventually, maybe it doesn't come up anymore. But what happens over time is I can continue to say, no, I'm going to look over here. I'm going to distract myself in a more productive way. That has less and less energy in my life. So it's not a, it's not a final destination. It's, it's a journey. And it's a beautiful journey, and we get to decide along the way how fast 
or how slowly, or not at all, we're going to participate in that. So what happens when we do this? We have experiences. We keep going back to the mistake, mistake. Oh, I screwed this up. I didn't do this right. I was, I was late with that. I didn't have, not enough here, not enough there. We end up creating hell on earth. It's a state of hell. And then we fear being alive. We risk the risk to be alive and express who we really are. And then what we do is we take the weapon of perfection and we punish ourselves endlessly for not being who we think we should be. What if you just decide right here and now that part of your perceived, your perceived flaws is part of the perfection? And that, that's part of the storehouse of information and challenges that I get to look at so that I can move into a different experience. This is the way it works. This is the way it works. And this domestication that goes on and on and on. I, I watched a, a documentary about Marlon Brando uh, yesterday. And I love Brando because Brando was so cavalier. He came along and he opened up everything for artists. And I was fascinated by his life because he was so impactful, but his life was such a mess in terms, in my perception. I'm thinking, what's this? He's so loved and revered and so creative, and, and yet he had this propensity to punish himself and punish those around him at times. And one of the things that drove him, so talking about domestication, his mother and father both suffered from alcoholism. And his mother would take off during the day, and, and it was abusive. He, the father was physically abusive to the mother, and Brando finally took, they, in, at one point in time, uh, his father was a traveling salesman, and the father was, was beating the mother again. He went upstairs, he got the 45 caliber pistol, and he came down and he held it to his dad's temple. He said, you touch her one more time, I'm going to kill you. But he adored his mom. And he was actually very sweet and kind to his dad until his father passed away. But he had this, he had this anger about his dad through his whole life. So anytime he was confronted with authority, he would do everything he could to not comply with whatever their request was. But what happened as a young boy with his mom, his mom would take off, go down to the bar, and she would drink herself to the point where she was no longer conscious. And what Brando learned to do to, to distract her was he learned how to imitate all the farm animals. They grew up on a farm in Omaha. And he also learned how to do all the voices of the neighbors and the people in, in the town. And his mother loved that. So he found a way to distract his mother so that she wouldn't spin into the addiction so much. But who would know that this would then become a gift that he would transform uh, a form of artistry on the planet? And so it's not, I'm, not, I'm not judging it, but I'm saying, isn't it fascinating? Through this chaos and discord, something else was given birth. And it doesn't have to be that way. But here's a form of domestication. No one... No one abuses you or I more than ourselves through our judgment. No one. And what we do is we find relationships. So what's our, what's our inner uh, um, conversation? When we abuse ourselves at a certain level and then we meet someone along the way that abuses us in the same manner, we go, oh, this is great. I like this person. Hmm. This feels familiar. Now, if someone exceeds how we abuse ourselves internally, we typically walk away. If it exceeds that, that thing going on inside of us. So as the inner dialogue goes on, as our, our awareness opens up, as our capacity to love and honor ourselves, the divinity within ourselves, and understand we are here by divine right appointment. We are not a mistake. We are not something that is, is discounted or not held in the, in, in, in the highest thoughts by the infinite, when we start to move into that more and more and more, our relationships start changing because we're abusing ourselves less. And that inner conversation changes. And all of a sudden, as that conversation changes for us, the people that, that, that abused us in the past, they just they move away. 
because there's no place for them to land. There's no connection. But isn't it fascinating? We've done this for how long? Holmes, Dr. Holmes said, we have learned enough from suffering. I say, hallelujah. But we get domesticated. I'm going to ask, uh, I'm going to show you a video right now of a little boy and how domestication takes place. And so I'm going to invite the gang up there in the, uh, the booth to put this video up. It's a, about a minute and a half. A little boy John, named John. What are you eating? You didn't eat anything. Yeah. John, look at mommy. Anything. Are you telling me the truth? That. You didn't have any snacks? Nope. Let me see. You didn't have any snacks. Open wide, let me see. Really? You didn't have any snacks? John, come here. John, can you explain to me why, why the sprinkles are empty? Well, you're not empty. John, look at me. You're not empty. Did you eat those sprinkles? No. I did not. You know it's not nice to tell stories and to lie, right? Look at Mommy. You're not supposed to lie. Tell me now. Did you eat those sprinkles? No. I did not eat sprinkles. John, mm -hmm. you have sprinkles on your face. Oh, um, no. No. <laughs> I did not eat sprinkles. So, John, not the ideal form of parenting, by the way, okay? But, uh, but what a great example of how we get domesticated. We make, you know, <laughs> who knows, maybe John can't eat sprinkles to this day. But the point is, is that, and, and, and alongside this on um, YouTube, I found a, a study of, of uh, children uh, not telling the truth. And of course, we, we lie, we learn to, to lie, because we don't want to get punished. You know, it's, it's, and, and, and they did a study uh, uh, next to this one on YouTube where scientists would sit behind a, a window that the, the children couldn't see through with the parent, and they would put a toy on this table behind the child, and they'd say, and it was covered with a blanket, they'd say, now, there's a toy behind you, but don't look, don't peek, and I'm going to take the blanket off, so they take the blanket off, and, and then they say to the child, and so the child is staring straight out, and the toy's behind them, whatever you do, don't look, don't peek. This is the, right now, don't peek. And so then she would start the toy, and there's a little train, little train going around and going toot, 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 toot. And so she said, I'll be right back. So she would leave the room, and the mom would be behind the screen with the doctor, and they'd say, what do you think? And the mother would say, oh, he'll peek, because they're three years old. He'll peek, and uh, she said, and then the doctor said, will he tell the truth that he peeked? And he oh, no, he'll lie. So um, what they found was that 70% of the children at three years old peek and lie. And what they understand now is this whole thing is not around, there's something inherently wrong with the child. In fact, the higher the IQ, the more the propensity is to look and then to make a story up. And it's part of the, it's part of the development of the psyche and the beingness and the consciousness of the child. And so it doesn't... But when we understand that, well, here's John with the sprinkles all over his face. Now, he didn't have them, and they're not all gone. There's still a little bit left in the bottle. But the point is, is that none of us want to get into trouble. So what we do is we learn how to lie to avoid trouble. When in fact, we just create more trouble with ourself, for ourselves. But, but it's amazing the, the amount of energy that, that the culture puts into this. And it's also amazing the amount of energy that we put into it. 
And if we understand that all of it is a journey in consciousness, and here's this, these little three-year-old and four-year-old children not wanting to get into trouble, and then how can we nurture their consciousness in a way? So this, this would have been much more effective for the mother to, to simply say, you know, John, I see that you had a snack, and tell me about that, and then have, you know, whatever, but to be honest in it, rather than create this accusation and this shame around it. But, I mean, this was how I was domesticated. It was this, you know, it was the question and answer, it was the interrogation. But why not, why not call it what it is and have the honest conversation and tell me about that? Because you knew that, you know, you, and all this. And so it's very interesting, and there's so much learning for all of us in it. But this is how it, then we get into this fear-based lack consciousness. And there's something wrong with me. When there's nothing wrong with it, John. John's a little kid. He saw something sweet. My gosh, something sweet. I'm going to go eat it, even though I know I shouldn't be eating this. And there's story upon story upon story on the, on the Internet. So we can carry that story forward, and then it becomes a form of abuse for all of us. We need to be accepted and to be loved by others. But we have to first accept and love ourselves. Self-abuse comes from self-rejection, and self-rejection comes from having an image of what it means to be perfect and never measuring up to that ideal. All of us make mistakes. All of us have told half-truths. All of us have not wanted to be punished at times. And so if we've done that, and then that becomes part of the theme that, uh, that we've given our attention to that, then we carry that theme with us throughout the rest of our lives. Don Miguel says, if you want to find a life of joy and fulfillment, you have to find the courage to break these fear-based agreements that, that claim our first personal power. And he says that the most powerful way to do that is through these four agreements that he's given us. So this is a, a, a body of knowledge and a body of information to help us move forward. And he said the first agreement is the most powerful. You get the first agreement down, and everything else starts to change. He says, the first agreement is to speak with integrity. So tell the truth. Be a stand-up person. Understand the clarity and, and speak from that. Speak with integrity. Say only what you mean. Avoid using the word to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. Use the power of your word in the direction of love and truth. So gossiping. To catch yourself when you're gossiping or you're in a group of people gossiping. And it's okay to just sit there, not say anything. Because it's such a popular idea. It's a, you know, it's a very fun activity for many people. But I find at times, I, you know, I have to catch myself many times. And then I just get quiet. Hmm. Because nothing has to be said. I just simply don't want to align myself with that energetic of it. I have people that are close to me in my life that, that don't have kind things to say. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm related to them by... Let's say we're born into the same family, if you know what I mean. And I hear them talk about other people. And, and when I hear that, I always say, I wonder what they're saying about me when I'm not around. Have you ever thought about that? I wonder what, how I'm characterized when I'm not in their presence. And so what I find is, I don't want to participate in the conversation. And yet I, it's like, hmm. And then what I'll find is I'll find creative ways to, to talk about something else. Which is what um, Esther Hicks talks about. Find more interesting and, and productive ways to distract yourself. I love that. Because otherwise, I'm giving my attention to things that perhaps will perpetuate the story that, that lines up with something that I don't wanna, uh, no longer want to have in my life. Last week, we gave everybody a clean slate tile. There's some more in the basket back there to your left and my right, just in front of the sound booth. There's a white tile there. There's pens you can write an intention word on. 
Because then we can take that intention word and perhaps the intention word is, is relief or joy or abundance, but you write it down and it becomes a touchstone that you can wrap an affirmation around. And your affirmation is a new idea that stretches you. So maybe it's just that, that, that I, I'm impeccable. So maybe you write impeccable, which means I'm going to continue to practice becoming more and more impeccable with my inner dialogue and the way I express myself in the world. And it's a journey. It's a practice. I, you know, I, I just, I'm always amazed that, that, that you know, in, in my position, because I get to do this publicly with you, which is an honor and a privilege, but I'm always, I'm always amazed that, the, the, that, if, I, that if, I, if I make a mistake, the standards that I'm held to, and, and, yet, and it's like, I finally just had to agree. I finally just said, well, you know what? I'm in the journey. I'm on the journey too. And, and what I say now when people are giving me this, this powerful and wonderful feedback that typically I never ask for, I just say thank you for sharing. I was with Eileen Flanagan last week, and she has a friend that's on a, a board of uh, working now with the Centers for Spiritual Living in the Mile High Church in Denver, and it's a huge work. And he's a local TV celebrity, and they brought him on as their new development uh, person. And so he'd be like somebody from Global or from CTV, the local celebrity come in and, and sort of help run a, a piece of the organization. They're a huge organization. And she was having lunch with him one day, and, and people, she said, throughout the lunch, people kept coming up and, and telling him how he screwed up on the news. You know, you didn't talk about this, and you should have talked about that, and you should have talked about that. And she said it just went on and on. And she said after about a half an hour and about four or five people came by that she didn't know at all, but were offering their opinions, she said, just, how do you manage that? And he, and he said, what? He says, everybody giving you their opinion about how you should be and how you should do the news. He says, oh, he says, that just goes whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. He says, I can't even hear it anymore. I've heard so much of it. I thought, oh, I get it. That's how this works. So, but, it's, but it's fascinating how we can, and I think what we, we identify and share with people is the flaws that we feel so alive in ourselves. People mirror that for us, and we're in this together. But if we understand that, then we don't have to hold it so tight or feel we have to protect it. We can just say, thanks. Thanks for sharing. Thank you so much. Impeccability means without sin. A sin is anything, anything that you or I do that goes against our, our, ourselves. Being impeccable with the word is not using the word against ourselves. Being impeccable with our word is the correct use of the energy. It means to use our energy in the direction of truth and love. Truth and love. Truth and love and light. Jesus of Nazareth said, ye are the light of the world. He wasn't talking about just one person. He was talking about all of us because he, he understood our divine nature. He was, not the great, he was not the great exception. He was a great example. You are the light of the world. I'm going to ask Bill. We're, I want to do a spiritual practice with you today that I think is very powerful. And while we do this, I want you to consider, give yourself a touchstone, something that you can do physically that can bring you back to this state of connection, this state of oneness, this state that grounds you in truth and love. So I'm going to invite you, if you're comfortable, to just simply close your eyes. I'm going to play a song beneath this by Karen Drucker called Holy, 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 which essentially is... We are holy. And I'm going to read this. Now, this is a, as the music starts, this is a, um, uh, a narrative of Don Miguel's uh, enlightenment. He had an experience. He, t he talks about it in one of his talks on YouTube where he was near the desert. He couldn't sleep at night. It was too warm. He went out for a walk in the desert, and he looked up after a bit of walking, and he looked above him. And I'm going to invite you to look above yourself in your mind's eye. And he saw the, the stars. The beautiful stars and he had this epiphany he had this opening within him he realized he was one 
with the stars. He was realized he was one with the stars. He was, he was one with all the space between the stars, between the light. And then he wrote about it in the four agreements in the introduction. He began, and I invite you and me in the energetic of this. It's just beautiful, the energy here. You can feel it. He saw himself in everything, in every human, in every animal, in every tree, in the water. When we take a shower tomorrow or, or a bath, next time when we cleanse ourselves, to see ourselves as part of that. In the rain, in the snow, in the clouds, in the earth. And what he saw, and I invite you to see with me in this moment, is that life is a mixture of light and dark. And that is necessary for us to continue to give birth to the love and the truth and the light that you and I are. We are holy. You are holy. You always have been. I'm going to invite you in this moment to think of some place that you beautifully just touch yourself, perhaps two fingers together, that grounds you in this awareness. Maybe it's over your heart. Maybe it's your middle finger and your thumb coming together. Maybe it's tapping your leg. Maybe it's just moving your little finger. But what triggers it? What grounds it in this physical, beautiful being you are? Come to me. You are holy. As Don Miguel says, as he was having this experience, he became excited. Allow your, that excitement of your, your spirituality and your humanity to bubble up. It's not one or the other. And in his heart, in this excitement, in this joy, in this thrill of being alive, he was filled with peace. So I invite you to fill yourself with peace in this moment. Perfect peace. Grounded in the collective oneness. And in that peace, whatever is, is, is at our highest and best to shift. Welcome that. What can I put down? What domestication, what self-abuse can I begin to unravel? And what he found in this experience is he found that he, he wanted to tell everyone. He could hardly wait to tell those he loved what he had discovered. The challenge was there were no words that could describe it. He tried to tell others, but they, they wouldn't understand. They could see that he had changed. They could feel it. They could sense it. Something beautiful was radiating from his eyes and his voice. This is you. This is me. To be the thing itself. Gandhi said, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. It's not about convincing anyone. It's about the transformation of ourselves and modeling it and living it at a deeper and more beautiful level. And then it becomes so obvious, as Ralph Waldo Emerson said, who you are speaks so loudly. I can't hear a word you're saying.
They noticed, Don Miguel said they noticed in him that he no longer had judgment about anything or anyone, especially himself, because he was no longer like anyone but himself. So I thank you for taking that journey with me. Thank you for your consciousness. Thank you for all of the resources that have brought us together today in this beautiful space. Next week, we're going to talk about taking nothing personal. We're going to build upon this principle of impeccability into not taking it personal. It's going to be a beautiful Sunday of music and of wisdom and of clarity and of joy and of celebration to continue to deepen. And so I, I'm so looking forward to sharing those ideas with you, and building upon this consciousness, this year of spiritual practice, this year of deepening and expressing and living from a healthy, vibrant place, this year of truth and love. And so it is.